Welcome, Robert Chan. So, uh, one of all here too who's uh, watching and uh, potentially watching the recording. Uh, my name is Pankaj Ravel. I am founder of, we're a boutique transactional uh, law firm, transactional and IP law firm in around the world. Uh, we're doing something new now um, for a while to uh, really spread the the wealth of knowledge that I've I've gained over the years, uh, meaning and building my network with really interesting uh, entrepreneurs and, and advisors um, over the over the years. So this these weekly uh, Facebook Live, YouTube Live events are hopefully um, going to provide a lot of value to people who listen or um, attend, because uh, you know they're they're really here to provide some insight on how Carbon Law Group group. How I've grown as an entrepreneur, starting out, you know, with really knowing no one, no one in LA and growing uh, a business, uh, a law firm. And our first guest is appropriately Robert Chun. Uh, Robert is um, someone I met probably what maybe eight years ago now, eight nine years ago. Um, early on, when I moved to LA, we were at the same networking group um, meeting, and we kind of hit it off. And over the over the time, Robert's been one of those amazing people who really invests in his clients. Um, it was early on when I didn't have a lot of money and he agreed to work with me anyways. Um, maybe he saw something, saw some potential and, uh, and in the years he's been really uh, amazing to, to talk to and provide insight because of his wealth of knowledge. Robert is a business, has been a business coach for probably over what, 30 years now um, since the, since the late eighties, He's been coaching small business owners um, long before business coaching was a thing. Now it's kind of the fad. You 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 throw a stone and you're going to hit a business coach in LA or a life coach. But um, but Robert was you know is, is the OG when it comes to coaching. He's been doing this for a long time before it was you know hip and cool. Uh, he his work derives uh, its power from his his unique perspectives on life as well as uh, a diverse disciplinary background in Eastern and Western philosophies, which I really love. And hopefully Robert will talk a little bit more about today. His approach accounts for the deals, um, if, accounts for and deals with many human factors that are not usually addressed in traditional consulting, which I think is huge. Uh, one thing, you know, one reason why I loved working with Robert is that he really brings a human element to to entrepreneurship and business. I think, which I think is so critical. You can't just look at the numbers, which Robert does. We we spend a lot of time with numbers, but it's also how does that connect to people and and your own aspirations? What do you want to achieve in life? Um, which I think has really helped me find balance in, in my career. Um, uh, Robert is also a futurist and strategic business coach. Um, we're going to talk about more what a futurist means, but he has a lot of really interesting insights about what's, what's in store, uh, which I think is appropriate for the world we're living in today. He's developed a distinctive perspective on business and the world that has allowed him to accurately predict mass behavior patterns of people in society. His ability to pre accurately predict coming trends and helped, uh, has helped clients strategically position themselves in the marketplace. In addition, his ability to prototype and restructure businesses has led, has had his clients achieve maximum profitability in the short term while accommodating for growth and expansion in the long term. Long term. Born in Seoul, Korea, Robert has uh, lived in Los Angeles now for over 40 years. So without further ado, Robert Chun, welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for a great intro. Yes. Yeah, it's been a long time. Yeah, it's been almost nine years we've been working together. And uh, you're right, I've been in business for 32 years and I've seen LA change from what it was to what it is now. And it's been an amazing process. Now, Pankaj, you called me here to ask me for how I began on my businesses and 
entrepreneurship. So I will do a little bit of my background. Um, I became what I am because I'm a men- I met my mentor, Stephen Gabriel, in 87. And he taught me the trade of corporate consulting. But given that I was such a young person at the time, and didn't have any connection, all I could work with was a small business. And Stephen got upset at me because I was working with small businesses, not large ones. And he asked me, what are you going to call this thing because it's not corporate consulting? I said, well, I work with a lot of businesses. I'm coaching them. I'm a business coach. And he said, there is no such thing. You won't be successful. But he said, if you want to really want to do this, promise me you'll talk to three people every day. Explain this because it doesn't exist in the real world. So you got to share it with people. Don't, don't sell, but share and see what happens. Well, I shared. And then my first client was a client that supposedly went to other consultants, spent a lot of money, uh, came to me as a last resort. But I helped her. I saved her business. And, and then she shared. And that's how my career began. And over 32 years, ended up working with about 1,600 businesses. We have locations in Los Angeles and Toronto. I have affiliates, uh, RSE Business Alpha in Toronto, Business Training Pro in Toronto and LA, RSE Business Group, Level 4, and then also the um, uh, 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 Business Support Services. So we've grown a bit. And people ask me, how come you have so many you know, affiliates? Well, a lot of affiliates goes away. I don't know them anymore. They do their own business. I built my own competition for a long time. But those that stayed and stayed in touch, they ended up moving because they fall in love. What ends up happening is like this. Robert, i got to leave the firm. Why? Well, I'm in love. I'm going to Austin, Texas. Why? My future wife lives there. i got to go to Buffalo, New York. i got to go to Toronto. i got to go to Boston. Latest one, London. So my firm's growing, my affiliate's growing because we got these young, adventuresome risk takers, literally because they're moving across countries and states to get married, basically. But the biggest trend difference of the futurist is that men are moving to women, not the other way around. It used to be the women used to come, right? So now it's the men. So that's the biggest trend I found out. So uh, as a result, you know, these locations become one-person band, two-person band, and us by, just by our relationship, uh, the affiliation remains, and a lot of affiliates got born over the last 30 years because of that. So you could say I'm responsible for not five, six locations, but five, six families now at this point, and their team, wow. right? So that's how we grew, wow. because people go, how do you grow like this? Well, I didn't choose this way, but that's what happened. And in regard to you, I saw a huge potential because you really want to help people, you know? You were one of the few lawyers and people who want to start off from that really want to help people who were for the underdogs. And as a lawyer, you don't have to do that, but you did. And you took on cases, you took on intellectual properties and corporation setups in such a way that it made people comfortable. So I was blown away and I was impressed by that. And even now, you built now a culture of people taking care of people. And even though you're becoming, excuse me, you're becoming risk takers and whatnot, and you're doing bigger deals, but you've built a culture that's really amazing because I think you are who you, uh, who you are because you're an entrepreneur and now a founder. And uh, I, I'm, I'm blown away by that, okay? Just want to share that with you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay? <laughs> I appreciate those. Uh, this is, uh, that's, that's really very nice of you to say. 
you know, before we kind of talk about, you know, the <laughs> I want to hear about, because I think you've always had banning things to say. Talk a little bit more about your past too, and kind of what led you to where you are today. You know, you have so many interesting businesses. Um, can you talk about like about your upbringing? What What do you feel like made you want to go into entrepreneurship to, as opposed to maybe working for another company? Well, I worked for a lot of other companies, but ultimately, um, you know, you know, a lot nowadays people start entrepreneurship because it's the way to go. It's glamorous. It's cool. But when I began my business, that was the only way. I was too stubborn. I didn't follow instructions well. Right. I was too, I was, uh, I thought I knew everything in the world. Now I changed over time, but you know, a lot of my weaknesses and a lot of the who I was made me become an entrepreneur because I could be my own boss. Nobody could fire me. And the top limit was unlimited, bottom was unlimited. And if I'm going to take a risk in the world, I came out into the world where there was recession in 87, 86, where I was living at the time. So I figured ultimately, if it's, it's going to be a risk anyway, because the promise of a corporate job where people could be there forever, grow inside organization, was broken around that time. So I said to myself, if it's going to be that way anyway, why not? Yeah. So... Yeah. So if, if there's no chance for me there, or even chance there, but ch chance is about the same, risk is about the same, why not go for myself? And that's what Stephen taught me as well, my mentor. He said, look, you want to be rich? Get a license and go on your own, make it successful. You want to be uh, free, do even more. So he taught me how to become free. And he taught me how to go through my own so, uh, my own things. One year was horrible year. So Stephen looked at me and says, Robert, you promised you'll be a business coach for the rest of your life. What's the one year loss? He looked at me straight and said that uh, when I was devastated. But I realized it was true. And over the last 30 years, it's proven to be true. So one of the things you people are finding out is there's no more promise of the corporation that used to exist. And large corporations don't take care of its people anymore. It's the small business, medium business that work together and trust together to make things happen. So you ask me why? Well, mostly I would say because I had to. Um, you know, when I first began, I had a full-time job. This was my side hustle. Yeah. I did it for two and a half years. Mm. I I, and I made more money doing this part-time than my full-time. Then I left. So I didn't take much risks. But at the same time, you have to understand what, why I became this way, because this was the most fulfilling job I had. When my clients won, when we beat the odds, I got an incredible high off that. And at a certain point, you get addicted to the highs and the lows too, I suppose. <laughs> but uh, it's, been a, uh, it's been a process. Yeah. Hopefully that answers the question. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, it's really interesting. I think... There's a few things you mentioned in there um, that I, I wanted to kind of expand on a little bit is, um, you know, talking about you, you, you're, you're using this kind of as a side, you kind of had this as a side job. You know, you had your own job earning money. And I think that's something that oftentimes for entrepreneurs and new businesses, people have ideas, but maybe they have something called the golden handcuffs um, where they have a job and they also have a family to support. And they said, oh, well, how am I ever going to kind of do this? entrepreneurial venture that I want because I have an obligation to my family. Um, I'm sure a lot of people deal with that. I, you know, 
it's funny that you know you also mentioned that you you started in a recession and and there really this was your best option if you know given that you know there weren't many great options out there this was this it's going to you know the, the risk maybe was a little lower, and I felt actually the same way personally when I started my firm. I graduated in a recession, and uh, and ideally I would have worked for a big firm uh, because that's what they teach you in law school. But um, but this actually I've always learned this forced me forced me to kind of get into that a little sooner. So um, you know, so it's interesting. I think the time we're living in right now, people may feel like oh, it's very dire times. But actually, this could be a, a breeding ground, a, a, a inflection point um, for a lot of entrepreneurs to, mm-hmm. to come because of the challenges and, the, and people are forced to innovate and, and, and adapt and think about different things. So you know, just talking about you know, that side hustle that you had, you know, working the job, doing the things on the side, um, mm-hmm. kind of realized that, uh, well, first, I want to know kind of how that was. And then when did you realize that, oh, now is the time to make that jump? What happened was uh, I, I, I had a job at UCLA, had a, uh, a staff personnel, Vice Chancellor Enoch was in head of that section. I was there for two years and I began consulting coaching and I uh, worked evenings and weekends. So I would uh, basically take a shower in the morning to go to the regular job, shower in the evening so I could go network and meet clients. So my evenings and weekends became my job. So I was working 40 hours a week in regular job. I was on time. Uh, <laughs> I left exactly on time. I literally drove fast to my home to change so I could go to networking events sometimes starting at 6 or 7.30. I uh, uh, got my DBA later on, corporations. Um, I, for two and a half years, I worked full time and a half. I worked about 65 hours per week basically so Saturday Sunday half day was my rest that's how I began and but one of the happening was 90% of the time was marketing 10% was actual work so Mm -hmm. the ratio was horrible you put in a 10 and you get nothing you put in 100 you get nothing you put in 1000 you get one but over time what are the happening I put in 1000 time effort I'll get 100 1000 Thousand, thousand, ten thousand. I started getting leveraging effect of the all the months and days and years of things I put in, and suddenly, not suddenly, suddenly it's two years. My work became ninety percent delivery and ten percent marketing. Mm-hmm. I didn't have time to promote anymore. I didn't have time to market anymore because I was so busy working with clients. Right. And then, funny thing happened my business started paying me twice as much as my regular job. So for a few months, I was saving a lot of money. I also paid a lot of tax that year. Um, so I saved a lot of money, and one day I was, at the time now I was working for Aurora National Life. The company went bankrupt, by the way. Um, uh, I couldn't work there anymore, so I walked in and gave him my resignation. Of course, I came home. I told my wife, honey, I'm leaving the job. She freaked out. But I said, it's going to be okay. She didn't know what I had done. But over time, she came to accept me and whatnot. But to me, at each of those moments, there was no choice but to take the best option. Because I was getting too tired from working uh, 70, 75 hours per week. So when I quit my regular job, it became a vacation. 
because I was only now I was working 30, 30 hours a week, making one and a half times the income of my old job, and there was no risk. Right. So one of the things people talk about entrepreneurship is, is huge risk, but that's a misnomer. Entrepreneurship means entrepreneur is somebody who can take a lot of different pieces, create more value than what it's worth, and make a profit. That's all it means. Right. It all means, means taking a calculated risk for our great benefits or taking opportunities, right? Entrepreneurship is a quality of doing that, building synergistic value and taking profit. It doesn't say anything about having risk, too much risk, does it, in the definition? Mm-hmm. There's some risk. No. Yeah. Can you repeat that, what you said? How do you, how do you define it again? It's about taking, taking something and, and adding value to it? What were, you, what were you saying? Well, entrepreneur is somebody who can see things, put pieces together, and have the combined pieces be worth more than individual pieces themselves. So let me give an example. Paperclip. Paperclip was a strings of wires. Mm-hmm. You cut it, you turn it, now that's worth more than a wire, right? Right. right. Yeah. So with a piece of wire and knowledge, you create value. Right. So entrepreneur is somebody who can take what you got and make it more valuable and then bring it to the marketplace and make profit. It doesn't say anything about taking risks. Right. But what has right. happened is <clears throat> that the world has changed. So it used to be that people get a job for 10, 20 years. They will take the money and invest into something they know how and develop into a family business and they give their kids. Two, three generations later, they take it to marketplace. But because of technology, we're trying to do it in like less than 10 years, that would take 40 years. So to do two by time, you gotta borrow all the money. So entrepreneurship began with no money. It all became idea and knowledge and ability to put things together. Right. But people have forgotten that because they don't use dictionaries anymore. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. That's true. Uh, yeah. yeah. Entrepreneurship means quality of the ability to put it all together and create value. That's all. Yeah. So that's what every business is, right? That's what every business is, essentially, is, is every successful business is how do you create value from, from some, um, you know, things that are out there. I mean, I've seen people create businesses that are, I'm sorry, businesses, but they're managed to do things in a simpler way for people that Google and figure out themselves, but they do it in a simpler way and make it much more uh, enjoyable. And that would be a multi-million dollar business. Right. And... And then now what has happened to you and why one of your, your firm is becoming so powerful and effective is you're able to discern, see, people have, so people have been now taught to take gambles, borrow your house money and bet it on a venture. So in the old days, it happened slowly, right? So if it's bad, you can walk off, walk off from it. But what people are doing, they're right. trying to do it faster, so they borrow money to do it faster, right? So they, right. they make a mistake, they lose $300,000, $500,000. They lose equivalent of a 10, 20 years of development. Right. Because they're trying to do it faster. Right. So, so one, of, one of the benefits of Carbon Law Group is you're, not, you're able to discern the risk-taking and show whether or not this is worth it or not worth it. 
And then not only that, you protect people from other people and take advantage of the hard work they do. So for that, I'm grateful. Yeah. <laughs> because you're trying yeah. to do so much I think, faster. I think you make a very good point, a very interesting point actually about how speed has actually increased risk, right? The desire for speed, I think, is correlated with the risk that people are taking on and potentially if people are willing to be more patient um, or, and are persistent with, with uh, their venture, then maybe they don't have to take on as much uh, risk because they can slowly build it. Um, you know, I think as you and I, you know, did with our practices in many ways, and it depends on the practice, right? You know, if, if it's, if it's consulting and coaching, there's less, but potentially if you want to build, if you want to produce a product, then, you know, there may be more capital requirements there. But, but I think even then, right, I think then you can, there's ways to minimize, which I think every, every entrepreneur should really look at and really think about without going, you know, without just investing in themselves because they believe, oh, I can do it. Minimizing your downside is always a good idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Um, Pete, uh, Punk, you should uh, have that be your service, also, <laughs> from my point of view. Right. Right. Well, I mean, I think, yeah, it, it's something that I talk to a lot of my clients about, you know, when they're entering to these deals. And that's a lot of what we look at at contracts. You know, how do we give them out? So um, if it doesn't work out, they're, they're not going to be in a really difficult financial position, uh, in, you know, pivot. Um, so I, I was thinking about, you know, all our conversations over the years. I, there's been, um, you know, I, we've had interesting conversations. Uh, but I think one thing I wanted to maybe just quickly touch on is how do you differentiate coaching versus consulting? <clears throat> is there a difference? Okay. Well, consulting is like this. I take somebody on my shoulder, I run out of the lab, and I put them in the finish line. Coaching is like this. Run. Okay, <laughs> turn left. Turn right. Okay, jump this way. Move this way, right? So it's less effort on the person who's managing. Uh, consulting is really great because it happens faster. Because now you're able to use the consulting team's infrastructure to produce results. Mm -hmm. But as a result, it costs more money. Coaching, on the other hand, it costs a lot less because uh, the person is using your, their own infrastructure. So it's more like do-it-yourself versus having somebody build a house for you. Right. And, and then as uh, Just to follow up on that, sorry, <laughs> but I think just to follow up on that, how do you, how do you think about your services? Is it, it seems like it would be a blend between coaching and consulting. Um, how do you kind of position yourself in, in, in that spectrum? I like to think of myself as a business coach, but what ends up happening is um, people need more than me. And because I've been around so long, I use one of my clients or one of my former clients for the other parts. Mm. So they're getting a blend of consulting and coaching because now I have to go, John, he now needs this kind of a website that can do this and this. He now needs a Facebook video this way. And then I need a, a YouTube video this way. I need a landing page this way, right? So I can do the coaching part for both sides, the vendor and the service personnel and the actual client. Okay. So as a result, I can coordinate everything. So because I've been with so many clients over 32 years, collectively as a team, we processed over 1,600 businesses. So as a result, what's what people are getting is not coaching, but not consulting either. Because now they are, they, are, they are in control 
of the organizational structure itself. So what they end up getting is whole team. I see. I see. Yeah. That makes sense. Oh, that's great. Okay. Um, uh, and so I want to kind of talk a little bit about, you know, what, what you look for in, um, I mean, for, for all the entrepreneurs that you've worked with over the years, and maybe you can talk work with the different types of industries, um, how you've helped them. Uh, I want to know also, when you meet an entrepreneur now, after so many years of meeting so many different entrepreneurs, what do you feel like are some of the characteristics that will make someone versus those that don't make them end up, you know, maybe they're not as successful as they, as maybe they'd hoped they'd been. Hmm. So what will make them a good business owner, a good founder, a good client? Number one is they need to be coachable. They're willing to take input. Mm -hmm. Second is they need to be willing to change and work with people. Because in the beginning, you need somebody who, who doesn't need external validation for what they do. Because there's no agreement for their business to exist. So perfect founder in the beginning needs to be somebody who could be self-generative, self-motivated, but coachable. As the business okay. goes on, that person needs to become somebody who can actually interact with people and keep promises really well. As the business goes on, they need to be able to not only deliver upon products, but, but manage and become somebody who can manage and supervise people. And, and the last step, at least, when they become big enough, they need to be somebody able to trust and let things go. Mm. it's hard because when you start off with a business you're living, living on top raw materials but at the end you have this huge enterprise but it's so big you cannot manage it so you got to give up management and all you can do is set directions you're no longer the engine you're no longer a wheel you're no longer the seats you're simply steering wheel and a driver right and it's really hard to be that to set directions and drive because you're, you're so aware of everything you built over the decade or so, you know? So in the beginning, it's about being able to listen to what's, what's there and actually put in things in place. At the end, it's about be willing to let it go. So it's, it's a whole change or transformation of a person from a one kind of person who is persistent, stubborn, will overcome everything to somebody who at the end has a surrounded by a circle of people who they can trust and let go. It's a, it's a personal growth and transformation. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. it's so interesting because I feel like you know, I'm, I'm just thinking about my own, my own experience on that, on that uh, timeline and uh, the, the, the changes I've had to go through and resisted at times. Um, uh, but, but yeah, it's, it's so true. I think learning to grow as a founder, a business owner is one of the hardest things sometimes to do, especially when you want things done a certain way, but that's, I think where the art comes in of being able to communicate what it is that you want, your vision, you know, and having a clear vision and uh, the founding. So it was always guiding your, your, you know, how you function in the future. Um, yeah, that's no, very interesting. Um, you know, is there is there any kind of you know anecdote or um, specific example of a of a client you've worked with that you've you came in, you kind of were able to identify what issue and, and then uh, figure out how to grow? Like, were there little tweaks that you've made that made a that made a huge difference for 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 some of your? Clients? 
Oh, I can tell you a whole storyline from a nothing to small $450 million company. It yeah. took many, many years, but it okay. was husband and wife couple and they made windows and doors. And uh, they had a little factory in Las Vegas and uh, um, they were just barely getting by with a couple of people and they brought me in and they were willing to pay for my airline tickets to go there, stay there for three days and advise them. And they pulled everything out of me, that's for sure, in three days. So I would go <laughs> visit them every so often. It was great. Vegas, gambling, food, <laughs> and you get taken care of really well by this uh, husband and wife couple. Yeah. And there's a little shop, basically, that makes doors and windows. And what we figured out was to grow to next level, they need to build a better infrastructure. So we were able to get some money, and we took a huge risk. We opened a shop in Utah. Mm. But we also found out that, you know, it's hard to hire trained people for that kind of factories. And so we were getting people from places like Home Depot, Staples, you know, we would literally get people out of nowhere and then we'd train them and develop them. We built a job description, we built a know-hows and so forth. And so over time, not all at once, but over a couple of years, it became a 45 people production company in Las Vegas and Utah. Wow. Pretty big, right? Yeah, that's very, yeah. And they were producing windows and door for all these places in Las Vegas because they were growing. You know, the, they were pouring asphalt like left and right. And, you know, house were $20,000 per house at the time. Right. Right? It was, yeah. it was yeah. one of those days. Yeah, Las, Las Vegas is yeah, growing one of the fast growing markets. Yeah. Right. So we grew, and one of the things he wanted was, Robert, I want to build a company that will outlast me. And I said, great, but you're going to have to give up letting go of things. Well, what ended up happening was he ended up taking my operations officer for his, which was fine, and uh, we grew. And then after, I guess, a couple of years, um, you know, our job, my job was done, so I left. And a few years later, I got a call from my former ops and associate, Robert, you know, you know, he's coming down to Long Beach area and we'd like to meet you. Can you come? We'll be there for a few week or so and he's going to meet you. So I went down there and I, I got to see her and he turned a little 45 people shop into a company that had like 400 people working there. And his wife was involved wow. and so on and so forth. And I sat together with him in the front of the fireplace. He said, you know, I just want to thank you for everything. Then I realized something. Um, half of his body didn't move. And he told oh, me wow. he had a stroke, heart attack, and clotted in his leg. So what I realized, he was placed next to the fireplace uh, by, you know, the, my associate. And we talked, and we talked about the past. He said to me, you know, my business is so good, it's for keep on lasting, no matter what happens to me. And uh, um, I said, yeah, so, you know, I guess we'll get to keep our promise together. He was like, yeah. And we talked a little more, and I left. Nah. Later on, all hearsays, but he died because his body couldn't hold out, and he went through a divorce, I believe, and... Uh, um, you know, and the company that's being sold to the Chinese. But the company is still alive. Mm. The only difference is 
They're actually still there in Utah and Las Vegas. But when you go to a website, it's in Chinese. <laughs> because it's a Chinese company. Really? Yeah. Huh. So uh, that's the experience. Because he was willing to go through from being a mom and pop shop to be a small business operator, to be a small business owner, and later on to be the chairman founder. And, and he had really good people, his brother-in-law, himself, and the guy that we found in Staples ended up becoming a lot of the operational head. So, you know, you're look, looking at decade of life, 12, 12 years of life, I guess, like that. Uh, but I found him to be one of the greatest founders because he, he found his way to evolve and change and eventually build a firm that outlive him. So yeah. uh, he's one of the two examples in my life in 32 years who became, to me, the most notable founder of his firm. Right. Yeah, because, right. Uh, uh, you know, enterprise uh, entrepreneur is ability to keep a promise to create the value, right? So he kept his promise. Mm -hmm. So I'm very, very proud of him. I miss him. Yeah. Yeah, that's too bad. Yeah, I'm sorry to hear that. You know, here's a lay, but wow, that's uh, a legacy to, to leave behind and, uh, and the amount of people you tell he's helped, the jobs he's created. And I think oftentimes that's rewarding aspects of being an entrepreneur um, and, and founder is like, you know, you, you're employing other people, right? And you're helping people, you know, put, people, put a roof over their head, um, grow a company. I think that's extremely, you know, powerful. And um, and I think in today's society, we hear so much about you know, founders worth the dollars or, you know, whatever it might be, $100 million and founders, you know, that that would not be without the people, you know, that they work with. And I think, you know, those founders who look for, for the quick exit or quick money, you know, um, at, this, at the sake of, you know, a team will oftentimes, um, you know, not, not end up achieving what they really wanted to achieve. Um, mm -hmm. because I think you got to put first. Um, so that's, that's great. You know, they're able to grow a company like that. Yeah, it's um, but it's, it's rewarding. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Challenging and rewarding. You know, people are also sometimes the most challenging part of a company too, <laughs> managing people. And actually, it's a good segue to kind of, um, you know, something, uh, you know, since we've worked together, I'm very involved with Landmark. Um, and now maybe a little bit about, Landmark is and how that has influenced your um, your work as a coach and consultant. what you know what is it what does it do and how does it how can it make entrepreneurs or even people because I, I, I've done I think the initial seminar and I found it very very fascinating what Landmark is is a company that's interested in developing human beings that can transform or improve the world and what Landmark does, you put people through an intensive three days where they get to examine what is to a human being and have them become more present, more aware of their situations. And as a result, people let go of their limitations and learn to take a risk in a way that's not possible before and still produce results against the odds. So I found Landmark education to be powerful. I don't think they do any courses for new people right now because of COVID, but if anybody could actually take courses in landmark education, course like the forum or advanced course, I recommend it highly. Because you really get to see who we are as human beings, what made us who we are. 
And for me, it was a place that I grew up in. And when I went to college at UC Davis, and I was 21 and a half years old, a friend of mine went to the door and says, Rob, you should take this course. What is this? It's called a training, and you should take it. It only takes $50 down. I said, hey, okay. Well, what he didn't tell me was the course cost five seventy dollars at the time. Oh. So I ended up doing gardening and whatever to get the money and do it. But, and I did a lot of volunteering work. But, you know, through talking, through learning, moving chairs, moving microphones, doing logistical work, learning how to share about the forum, you, you get trained in leadership. You get trained in management. You get trained in sales. And it's the, to me, uh, one, of the, one of the simplest way you can get all the training you want possible in dealing with people. Because you, get all, you meet all walks of people and then you brush up against them and it kind of rounds you out. So yeah. if anybody can do it, I recommend it highly. I've, I've been participating in it since I was 22 years old. So wow. that's 35 years of my life. You know, three hours a week part-time, if you will two hours a week or been gone for 10 years from it, but the organization sticks around. So it's a great place to be. I recommend it highly. Yeah, no, I, I you know, I've done the seminar. That's the right. That's the first three uh, course. First course is called a landmark forum. Three days. The forum. forum. Yeah. Right. Um, and yeah, even in that experience, I mean, I think, uh, you just uh, the one main thing I took away from that that I think is really valuable as a leader or boss or anyone who actually really working with you know who has who's in relationships, which is all of us, right? With relationships, and humans are complicated people, and we're complicated, and um, and it's about like I love the what they talk about in terms of the stories in our head, right? People say things to us. Uh, they, the things that they say are just words, but we construct stories about those words that affect us in different ways, um, which is really fascinating, right? Because I think, and I'm, I'm very much into like mindfulness and meditation. I feel that, that awareness, you know, I think they're all connected to awareness in some ways is so valuable in business because people will say things in your, in your company, right? Sometimes people are frustrated by something. Maybe, maybe you say something in a way, realize how it, how it affects the other person. And all of a sudden that can create tension in, in your company um, and people are going through things too, right? We don't always know what people are dealing with personally. So having that awareness and understanding one has stories is a uh, you know, way that they're seeing the world through their own eyes is really, really valuable. And, and I think running a company effectively and communicating effectively. Yeah. Because, um, um you know, we are a human being, and by being a human being, we have flaws. And that flaws allow us to connect with our people and compensate for our flaws. So we need each other. You know, we may have different flaws, each of us, but together we're perfect, you know, collectively speaking, right? So I think right. what happens in Landmark, you get to get in touch with your humanity. And over time, you get to have an incredible compassion for yourself other people and uh, heroic uh, journeys everybody's on uh, to be more to make a difference to matter to reach uh, and and touch someone right but in but in mm -hmm. ways that makes a difference so you really get present yeah. to the whole panorama of things and uh, 
and uh, it you allow you're you're able to see yourself in other people's shoes, and through communication, they can see in yours. Mm-hmm. It makes a huge difference. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, thank you. Yeah, thanks for sharing about that. Um, uh, and you know, I wanted to talk a little bit about kind of the times we're living in now and the unique you know time in of, of and uh, coronavirus. Um, like, how do you, how do you, how have you seen that affect your clients' business? You know, the people that you're now, what are some unique challenges that people are facing, and how have you help them or guide them or provide some insight on maybe how to deal with the present moment, but also talking also about the future? Because I know, you know, we talked about you being the future and what's what's in the store. Okay, I'll answer the last question first. So, sure. if you look at history, every 500 years, our civilization changed. The center of our civilization used to be God. Then it became science. And right now, it looks like center of our universe is chaos. But <laughs> the prediction is that center of our universe will be advancement and transformation. Okay? So in, after coronavirus, there will be new technology, new metals, new way of beings that's going to come up that's going to advance all of our humanity. Now, this coronavirus is nothing new. We're in competition with bacteria, virus, and disease. We're humanity, right? Every hundred years, we have this kind of a pandemic. Spanish flu, bubonic plague. You know, nowadays, squirrels across the world has bubonic plague. You're, you have antigens against bubonic plague because we're the ones that survived. Okay, and plagues too. Um, some of us are indigenous against disease that we don't even know about because we mix and breed and, and multiply in different ways as a humanity. Mm-hmm. So this too shall pass. You know, COVID-19 might end up becoming like flu shot you take every year because they mutate too. But our technology will mutate along with them, right? And we had AIDS pandemic where people just died and not just like, it doesn't mean that sentence anymore. Now they got TV advertisements saying, you got AIDS, take this and you'll be fine, right? So this is a blip in horrible, painful blip in the page of humanity, okay? Uh, so, so know that every next hundred years, you won't be here, I won't be here, but this, somebody will go through some version of this because virus and bacteria mutate, continue. If you look at the protein cells of the coronavirus, it is like combination three disease combined into one, okay? But the name of the game is keep our immune system strong. You know, take chaga mushrooms, reishi mushrooms, uh, zinc, vitamin C, D, uh, I don't know, erythromycin. Uh, I'm, make, I'm making things up here at this point, beyond those. And, uh, but you got to make your immune system because it's your immune system that helps. And then um, the air sac that get inflated, uh, you wanna make sure you take glutathione for that. Once you get it, you have a problem, but you can, but prevention is everything in this kind of disease. Plague, bubonic plague, red red fever, dengue fever, prevention is everything, and keeping an immune system strong is everything, until they come with a vaccine, okay? Till then, we're gonna probably lose about 1% of our population. Mm-hmm. It's cold, but it's the truth. Yeah. 
Yeah. But this is a one thing other than a war that the whole world is involved in together. So net effect will be, you know, make people more relatable to each other. It's going through common suffering unites people. Now, something else that will also happen is every 90 years, we have a major crash. 22 yeah. years is a season of financial cycle. 45 years season for fiat currencies. So probably December, January of this year, we're going to have some form of a crash. 30, 40, 50, even 60% crash in the stock market. We'll probably have uh, issues with uh, uh, commercial real estate and uh, home real estate because it's all patterns. <clears throat> it's not personal. We live in a giant ecosystem of finance and economy and nature. Yeah. So as a humanity, we've been doing this for a long time, at least recorded 700 years. So if you're a futurist, you get to learn about the past. You get to learn about how past has created this moment, but also what happens in the future. So you can prepare yourself and your loved ones. So in March, there was disruption in China, right? We have a storage tank of food and supplies for six to seven months, right? Now Chinese producing, Europe is producing, but you know, based upon the data, September there'll be shortage of few things here and there because truck parts will be missing and things like that, but it'll happen on a larger scale. So being a futurist means knowing the past, knowing the patterns and predicting things. Mm -hmm. So people are figuring out the Zoom is the way to go or teleconference way to go. Large companies are going to build software that's going to require no, less and less space now. So you're going to see change in commercial real estate and loans. And you'll see changes in banks because they want to hold on to their money. And then you will see what happens to people who haven't paid their rent for a while. Now, yeah. banks are supposed to put all the money back, but they, are, they haven't actually said so. So you will see a lot of changes happening in the next six months. So as a futurist, our job is to know the past, by informed by that, and have it predict the future and prepare for that. Mm -hmm. So a lot of my clients are buying a lot of puts. They're they are paying their mortgages down. They're paying their credit cards down. Um, we're about to enter into economic winter, which will last about 2.53 years. Mm. And uh, America is a very interesting country because the way it works it's the pyramid. Right. So well, what happens is new people come in at the bottom and push them up. So mm -hmm. when my dad came to America, he bought a fish and chip store from a Jewish guy. Now, Jewish people are not doctors, lawyers, and politicians, right? And recently, right. after 30 years, we got some Koreans becoming Asians, becoming more and more doctors, lawyers, and politicians, right? So, so but you need somebody to push, come and push into the whole structure. We stopped immigration for about five years, six years now. So the impact of lack of personnel is gonna show, which will create more personnel mm -hmm. and then falling down the pyramid. So that's what we're dealing with as individuals. Do, do you see the predictable pattern? And then- Yeah, no, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. And I think, yeah, history does repeat itself. I, I, I think that's, that's definitely true. I think, you know, it, it's fascinating to me just because I, you know, I hear a lot of like, it doesn't make sense that so many out of work, so many people are struggling, but yet the stock market's going up, right? Like uh, some of this is, 
based on very little, right? And and it is kind of a house of cards in some ways that I think, you know, is a matter of time. But the question is, you know, what, you know, how long? Um, yeah, it's, right. The Federal Reserve prints money and the bank corporation with good credit borrows money from banks. Right. And they buy their own stocks back. So there's fewer stocks. And as a result, value goes up. Right. 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 And there's fewer stocks, less people owns it. And so to grow further, to get more money, Tesla and Apple is now dividing their stock. So it becomes right. reachable for regular people to buy. Right. right. But you see, the value is a dollar, right? Now you sell it for 225 At a certain mm-hmm. point, unless you can actually make the value of the actual business go up to 225 it's will come back down. Right, right. So that's what we're facing globally. Right. Because it's inflated dollar, inflated money. Inflated, yeah. Too, right? I mean, looking at Tesla and Apple, you know, Tesla is, you know, going through um, and, and, and I think it's based on, you know, projections. I think people believe that, yeah, it will reach this amount. So they're buying at this amount. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of speculation, obviously, there is whether that's going to actually be the case. Uh, it's going to be interesting. Well, Tesla has gained by the people who speculate to go down. To short stock, you actually have to get access to a stock himself, right? Right. So a lot of people are shorting Tesla, but all of them getting up together buys more stock in a short term, so it pushes stocks up. So those short stock people get squeezed. Right. And then what Tesla has done is, smart-wise, they figured out how to build better batteries and better cars right. at lower prices. Right. So Tesla is now fighting the short people by building infrastructure with their money. So they're really being smart. They're using the wind against them for them now. So, right. you know, it's interesting to see the battle. Yeah. It is very interesting. I mean, I think it's a good story about entrepreneurship. I mean, I don't know if anyone's, anyway, if, if people haven't read Elon Musk's you know, book or biography, I think it's a, it's a really worthwhile read because it shows like, you know, in, in terms of the path of an entrepreneur, almost broke, right? In 2008, 2009, I think he was, a, he was almost, uh, had to declare bankruptcy. I mean, he had no money left for Tesla and the, and what he had to go through and, you know, his person to, to build that company into what it is today. Um, people don't see, you know, what that takes, but, uh, but, you know, very, very impressive that, you know, what he was able to build, I, I, you know, I, I believe. And a lot of people, you know, obviously have issues with him, but that's fine. But I think just objectively what, you know, the risk he took on himself and he took with his own money to prop up that company, you know, shows, you know, show, you know his, his ability as, as, a, as a business person, an entrepreneur. Yeah. Um, yeah. Ability to take a project that requires effort and keep a promise. Right. So, what's his promise he's trying to keep? Um, well, the promise is that you know maybe build the best. Um, well, one of the promises is get people on Mars, <laughs> and I think right. um, out there um, for and 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 he promises also to his investors saying, hey, you're investing in me. I'm going to produce, I'm going to give you a return. Right. So let's look at this. PayPal is a way to transmit money without physical infrastructure, right? 
Right. So that's what he built first. Right. He took the money and then he went to SpaceX. SpaceX is move large objects across a lot of space. He took that money and built Tesla. And he built a boring company, which means you could have underground tunnels of Mars become place for cities, right? And then if you're in Mars, you need energy, what are you going to do? It? You need a factory. You need a solar factory. So what you can see is he kept his promise for decades of building components they can put together to do it, right? Now, whether he's successful or not, right. we don't know at the end of the day. Right. But he's playing right. a different game. The why of his entrepreneurship is completely different than ours. Some whys are like, I want to take care right. of myself. Others is my family. Right. Others take care of my generations of people, my community, right? He's anticipating issues that humanity have in 10 years and trying to solve it. The reason he wins, he's 10 years ahead of people's problems. He's, he's not fixing today's mm -hmm. problem. He's building, fixing problem 10 years from now. Right. That's why he's right. able to win. Yeah. Yeah. That's a very good, I think, distinction because, you know, you, you talked about in the beginning about what it is to be an entrepreneur about, you know, taking something, adding value to it and selling it, you know, that's fundamentally, but he's now kind of taking that to the next level and saying, okay, what are the problems? What are, what are we going to have in the future? And how do we, you know, move that around and sell that But today? And, and I think, you know, he's, he's here and, and he's trying to time it. So people are him. And I think in, in, in entrepreneurship and, and, you know, we, and in the startup world, uh, a common term, or, you know, term is, is um, a product market, right? You know, I would say that Tesla is probably early to the game with their early, uh, <laughs> early first, with their first car. It was very expensive and there weren't a lot of them. The way to iterating to the Model S and the Model, you know, Model 3 and, and you know, now the different cars that, you know, we have here. But it's, you know, it was really fascinating because that, you know, to, to invest in a future and then, and then hopefully have the world catch up to that is a very risky and impressive, I think, feat. Yeah, iPhone is same thing. iPhone, Tesla. In every industry, right? Yeah. Yeah, and iPhone's a perfect example, yeah. And then they yeah. come up with technology that they cannot do. Like uh, George Lucas created Star Wars, but he filmed films but he couldn't really finish the film until they reshoot certain sections because technology for it was not available when he shot it. So right. one of the things that happens as an entrepreneur and a founder, you get to see way ahead and you anticipate the coming wave and then you prepare to meet it. You race to meet the future. Right. So at the right moment, when the water hits, you're there with the buckets. So, the greatest entrepreneurs are futurists because they're able to anticipate and prepare before anybody else does. And Absolutely. then protect their area. So Tesla, the reason he's, he's protected is they mastered updating cars, operational system by downloads now. Yeah. So, yeah. so every car could be updated like that for a credit card. Or for a yeah. transaction. Yeah. I got a better car now because operating system is better. 
Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's a game changer, you know, like, you know, we, we actually had bought one a while back and I, you know, people were telling me, why are you, why are you buying a Tesla? Who knows what's going to happen? Uh, you know, what others are out there that you get a new cost? Well, there's a new update features and all these other benefits. What other car company can say that? Yeah. Because you're not buying one car. You have to tr trade every three to four years. You're getting one car that could be five cars. Right. right, right. And so one of my friends got a uh, Tesla. It's like a station wagon type, but that car what, drove him from PCH, the Santa Monica area, to Pacific Palisades, and on on his own, he was still there. Yeah. Just drove him. But right. that feature Amazing, was right? available yeah. when he got it. Right. Now right, exactly. It. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. That's the Fantastic. Thing. Um. That's great. So um, I know we're running out of time here. Um, last thing is, how do people get in hold of you if they you know, talk to you, book a, you know, maybe book a consult, hire you? What's the best way to get? Well, best way to reach me is through RSC Business Group website, and you can inquire into and send me uh, a contact information for that, rscbusinessgroup.com. Or, or you can just call me directly at and my number 310-709-5188 and see what's possible. Okay. Yeah, that's all. Okay. Well, awesome. All right. Well, thanks so much for, you know, taking part in this today. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll send you a copy too. So, you know, you can always use this in the future. Um, and talking, you know, I think you and I always this in our, our, you know, my business, but this is great just chatting a little bit more about just you and around too. So uh, a lot for, for the time. Thank you, Pankaj. All right. Take care. Bye.